This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God Church in Greenville. And we are making funny noises in your chair. And uh, yeah, that's what it is. That's the vinyl. Anyway, um, so we're in Chapter 2 of Acts. Uh, in which we have the first uh, presentation of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And for those of you uh, online that don't know it, Crossroads Assembly of God Church is a Pentecostal church. So it'll be a bunch of Pentecostal people talking about, you know, tongues and stuff. So, uh, yeah, and, and Judy's over there groaning because I'm an old Southern Baptist who's been transplanted into the middle of Pentecostal world, and um, I don't know that my views have changed that much in the long run. So um, I'm going to say, you know, heretical things that's going to upset everyone in the room, and, and feel free to attack me at will. Don't Baptists basically believe in the Holy Spirit, they just don't believe in the tongues. They believe in half of it. They accept half the Holy Spirit, not the whole Holy Spirit. Please, tell us more about what Baptists believe. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm asking you a question. I didn't tell you about what... Well, I don't know. I haven't been a Baptist for half a life. I'm not sure what they believe in anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, I think if, if you want to insult the Baptist quicker than anything, I'm telling them that they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not saying they don't, but I'm saying they don't believe in the whole... Structure of well, they don't, they don't believe in the charismatic gifts. That's it. Everything else, we're pretty in line with them. Yeah. You know. And actually, it's actually quite changing. It's just like in the early days, the Methodist church were the fire breathers. They believed in the Holy Spirit and the tongues and everything, and then somewhere along the line, they gave up on it. <laughs> I, I'm sure that upset all kind of Methodists out there just now. Um... Okay, now that we've uh, annoyed every denomination in Texas, let's uh, start at chapter two. And I'm going to take, we'll get to Lutherans later. I think I picked on Lutherans last week, actually. Uh, and so um, we're going to take it in sections. And in, I got my notes taped. In, okay. Chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they's drunk. Okay, uh, they have had too much wine. That was more of an interpretation than a your, translation. Your, your version kind of takes away from... Uh, Does it? Does it? I think, think it kind of... Never mind. It takes away from some things. So, tongues of fire. Okay, how, where do I start? I like the way it says that when it was the day of Pentecost was fully come. Okay. All right. Uh, how about I lay out the top three interpretations of everything we just heard, and if we can all argue about which way to go. Sure, go for it. Okay. Traditional interpretation of this is uh, face value. Uh, there was a literal flame of fire that appears in everybody's head so everybody looks like their hair is on fire and the Holy Spirit filled everybody and they go out of the upper room and they start preaching and everybody and they're preaching in I'm assuming Galilean and everybody else is hearing it in their own language so the Holy Spirit is interpreting what they are saying as it's going out to these 14 different languages that Luke mentions. I think that's the traditional interpretation, it's right? He's kind, of, kind of working as a translator. He's translating them yes. all their, I like the, the or, where it says cloven tongues. The second thing is, just trying to. Oh, you're trying to lead me into that, okay. Or, uh, it's not a literal flame, although it says saw, so I kind of lean toward literal. It's not a literal flame, but by tongues of fire means that they are speaking powerfully. And so we have the Holy Spirit come upon these apostles who have been praying for a week in this upper room, and they leave and go start preaching powerfully to people. Might be. And then all these people start hearing their language in, uh, well, they start hearing the message in their own language, but they're speaking in their, own, in their own language. So these people that did not know Egyptian when they went into the upper room came out speaking Egyptian and they find Egyptian people and they witness to those Egyptian people powerfully and convert them. So the Lord, just as at the Tower of Babel, when he confounded humanity by creating all of these languages, here at Pentecost, it's almost a picture of that in reverse, where he starts spreading his word by, spread, by, by miraculously bestowing this language on people as they go into their mission fields. Well, I think and there have been numerous, well, never mind, go ahead. Well, no, I think it's a little different here. I think because it says that 14 different languages here are all hearing in their own language. I think that the people preaching are preaching in one language, but the Holy Spirit is distributing it out 
into all the different languages. I think that's a fair interpretation. That's, that's interpretation number one. Because if, yes. not, if not, those they would be preaching in 14 languages at the same time. What's wrong with preaching in 14 languages at the same time? Because your mouth can't move that way. In no, uh, no, no, no. There's a group of... Egyptian, I'm speaking whatever. Cretan. You're a Cretan. Cretan or whatever. But what I mean is, they're all, all these different languages are there and they're all hearing it in their own language, but he, I believe that the apostles are only preaching in their language, but the Holy Spirit is distributing it out. It's being like a translator, translating it out to all the different people to hear. So what is the third translation? The third one, I discovered this week, and I never heard of this before, and it's because I'm looking at Luke's very careful uh recording of these peoples. Now Luke wasn't there and Luke is uh, talking to people who were there and he's recording these people that come from all these different places. So he's actually writing, you know, he talked to somebody that was a Parthian. He talked to somebody that was Medes. This is according to my interpretation of this. But he's not listing languages. These are not languages. These are places. Judea is the lower portion of Israel. The language of Judea is Reformed Aramaic and Hebrew, just like Jerusalem. It's the same. Uh, so that's not a, a language. Uh, each, Egypt is speaking Arabic, which is, oh, oh gee, Reformed Arabic is just a version of that. They speak a dialect of the same language. Um, and so I'm going, well, how many languages are we actually talking about here? Because I don't know where some of these places are. So I did my internet digging, and I found what I believe is a doctoral thesis written by some guy named Bob Zerusen for his theology degree, I'm assuming. And he did a deep dive into each one of those places, looking at all of the languages that each one of those uh, uh, places speak in order to determine exactly how many languages we're talking about that the Holy Spirit is translating into. And here is his conclusion. It is Reformed Arabic and Greek. Just two. That's it. It's the same language that everybody speaks in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem and Israel in general is what's called a polygot. There are multiple languages being spoken in the, in the country, and each of those languages have their own traditional places. So if you're in the temple, God's language is Hebrew. That's the language the Bible is written in. So when you go into the temple, you teach in Hebrew. Pharisees teach in Hebrew because anything else is lesser. You know, we don't preach in the common language. Whereas if you go to the market to buy your sacrifice for the temple, you're speaking Reformed Aramaic because that's what the, the common uh, uh, Gullah language, that, that's a mixture of every, all the other languages. And that's what all these foreigners coming in now can get by with because we speak a little bit of that and it's a lot of stuff mixed in with it. So it's basically Arabic, but there's a lot of other stuff mixed in, Middle which is a common thing with languages, huh? Middle Eastern English. Well, yeah, well, the same thing happens here. I mean, we've got, in Texas, we have English, and then we have Spanish, and then we have Tex-Mex, which is its own 
it, well, it's a Gullah technically, but but you know, I, I worked in uh, Brownsville for quite a while, speaking mostly English and horrible Spanish, and I was cramming Spanish to try to be able to talk to the people that I was talking to, but it turns out that I have a salesman that were from Brownsville, and I would have a customer that came in from Mexico City who spoke Carilion Spanish from Spain because they were trophy wives for drug dealers, but that's another story. And so they're here speaking proper Carilion Spanish, I'm speaking English, and my translator speaks Tex-Mex. There's literally three different words for sheet and shirt, and none of us knew what the other one was. The Tex-Mex person didn't know the English word or the Spanish word for, for shirt, he just knew the Tex-Mex word for shirt. It's really a different dialect. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, now the only thing, though, Peter was the one that basically was preaching. Okay, get in there, get in there. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll let you dig in in just a minute. All right, so what we have is a situation where we have multiple languages. And, and, and this is the uh, Feast, of, uh, uh, Feast of Weeks, which, which is, became Pentecost. We have all these dysphoria of Jewish people who are speaking Hebrew and are trained because that's kind of the Hebrew thing. They've all been to school to a certain degree, and they speak at least two languages and probably three. And they get to Jerusalem. There really isn't a language barrier here, according to this doctoral thesis. So uh, these people come out, and something miraculous is happening because 3,000 people were converted in one evening. This is a good revival. So something huge is happening here, but is it, is it what we're interpreting? So he suggests that what's happening when they start talking about their own language, they're talking about the common language and not the high language. Any kind of Pharisee who is preaching in and out of the temple would be preaching in Hebrew, but Peter is preaching in Reformed Aramaic, the language that is comfortable to him, but he's preaching in an anointed way under power, and people are hearing this very convincing message in, in a language that they know more intimately than the high language that you only speak when you go to temple. And it's, it's, it's personal and it's converting. And as a result, all these people are hearing this common language and uh, that was what was different. And so people who were not being convicted looked at this and said, oh, these guys are drunk. They don't know what language they're supposed to be speaking in, you know, and, and they, they dismissed it all. That would be Dr. Bob Zerhusen's translation. A proselyte is a person that goes to a, a, someone who has a different religious belief and tries to convert them to their own religious belief. Okay, you right? know, your whole life calling, that's pretty much... <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. What was your Can point, you Bill? No, I, I did. I did. I've been so mean to Bill today. I apologize, dear. I just was curious what because it said Jews and proselytes, so I didn't. I was curious what the proselytes were. Are you sure you got that wrong? What are you talking about? Yeah, right here. Jew, Rome, Jews, and proselytes. It's kind of like mine says clothing comes the fire, not just. King James. So I'm just curious what the proselytes were. What, 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 
where they were from. I'm not sure how that's used in context, Bill, to be fair. And then, okay, what verse is it? So I can see what the real translation is. It's like 10, 10, verse 10. 10, okay. Visitors from Rome is what I've got. Right, right. Believing Gentiles. Believing Gentiles. So uh, uh, if you married a Greek and they were, we were trying to get along in Jerusalem, then the Greek needed to convert to Hebrew. Otherwise, you didn't get to go back to temple. You know, we, more more Gentiles came into Hebrew than went the other way. It's like if a, if a, if a American woman marries a Jew, she's yep. either got to transform to Judaism to marry him to be allowed. To yes, and so you have to be baptized into the Jewish faith, and they have uh, training, and you have to be checked off by the rabbi and all that. Kind of I think it's how the word is used. Is the person who does the witnessing to try to get the proselyte is the person who receives it. Okay, I I misused the word, Bill. I apologize. That's okay. I was just curious. No, but I think you're, I think we're right. It, it's gent believing Gentiles. Got a morbid question. Hit me. Would a grown man need to be circumcised if they convert? I don't, oh, I don't think today. I don't think today it's okay. I think it could be. I don't know. I'm not because that is quite the commitment. Yeah, if a guy. Yeah, I'll be like. I think they still though do have the tradition that when a boy baby is three boy. days old, they have to be circumcised. <laughs> is that correct? Brisk. That's a brisk. Is that correct? And yeah, they, it is. They still have it. Yeah. So. Peter is speaking in his own language under the power of the Holy Spirit in Reformed Aramaic, and everybody hears it in another language. Or Peter suddenly learns Egyptian and speaks in fluent Egyptian, so people that speak Egyptian are understanding that. Well, here's why I think the second one is an interesting idea. And this isn't scriptural, but I had, well, well, well listen, I had a uh, collection of newspapers that were printed as a news sheet during the Azusa Street Revival uh, in San Francisco at the foundations of our denomination and about six others. Uh, and it was two little old ladies that were basically writing down everything that happened in in the services and all of the, you know, the names of people who were converted and where they went and kind of tracking everything was happening because it was big news. And they were publishing this little newspaper just right there within that community. And those have been collected. And a lot of interesting little tidbits in there made me kind of raise my eyebrow. But one thing I did notice was you had a couple who came into the surface were immediately struck down in the Holy Spirit and they uh, were converted and called to preach all in the same service. They sold everything they had the next day and they booked passage on a ship on the way to wherever, China. And as they were boarding the ship, they suddenly started speaking Chinese 
and they were speaking fluent Chinese by the time they got, the, the Holy Spirit literally equipped them linguistically for the work that they were headed into. And it wasn't just one instance of that. It was multiple instances of that to the point that it was kind of undeniable. It happened over and over and over again. That's what Pentecost is about. God's, yes. God's and this is, this is it, it's not just uh, the Holy Spirit is letting you hear this in your language this one moment. These people instantly learn Chinese and Hindu and whatever, you know. Uh, and so I, I think the second interpretation is, is fair. This is the beginnings of the advance of the Christian church. Now, Christ does have a lot of converts in Jerusalem and about, you know. A lot of people, you know, that, that group is there. But this is the foundation of the structure of the church. These, these are all going to be all the elders of the Christian church over the next 40 years. And this is, this is ground zero. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is going to equip these people in a miraculous way. And why shouldn't they be speaking in Egyptian suddenly? Well, we got, did that include, Go ahead. did that include the reading and writing comprehension of the language? Don't know, it doesn't say. It could. I, I think what it is, and don't want to miss, what, it's not just what happened, it's what the meaning and the purpose of it is the miracle. That's fair. I think either, any of the three interpretations, it, it doesn't really I go change. I back to my class with Dr. Gady and my at FF Bruce, who had my Acts commentary, mm -hmm. who was a really advanced, he was, he's dead. Uh, and actually, I, I, funny, I was reading some of Bruce, you, you go back to some of the early writings of the early Pentecostal movement, and this is what it was said. Acts chapter 2 is more than just speaking in tongues. It is Christ, through the Holy Spirit, declaring that Christianity has nothing to do with nationalism. Judaism is about national, it's about Israel. Yeah. This is the proclamation that this message, the good news, is for everyone, the world. And I, and you, you, I think you had it right about, you know, with the Tower of Babel separated. Christianity is to bring people together. It said there, not one nation is going to own this. This yep. is going to the world. And I, the way I took this single language away from man back at the Tower of Babel. I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is I am going to make a way that this gospel will be spoken in every language, and I'll do it in a miraculous way to get everybody's attention. It is about spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the charismatic gifts. It is about proclaiming the good news in every language. It's not owned by Israel. It's not owned by the United States. It's not owned by England or France. It is to be multicultural. This is bringing everyone together. It is a uniting force. And language has been the thing that has separated people. And Christ and, and the Holy Spirit is saying, but the power of, of God is bigger than that and more powerful than that. To extend that idea, and I'm, I'm going to botch this up, um, a parallel has also been drawn between this moment and not just Babel, but Mount Sinai. And in Egyptian tradition, I don't know if it's really in scripture, but in Egyptian tradition, Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and he proclaimed the Ten Commandments in all the languages of the world, which is traditionally 70 different languages, according to Hebrew tradition. 
Now, I don't know, it seems like all the people that he was talking to would all be speaking the same language as him. But that's the tradition. And the idea there, it, this is with the insular nationalistic Jewish worldview of faith. They're proclaiming to everybody else what these Ten Commandments were. So these Ten Commandments apply by that to the rest of the Gentile world as well. You know, and that's and that's an old Jewish belief. Right, right. So I you know, that's that's an interesting parallel as well. And I think and I think that's the idea. They're kind of drawing on that because these these people are aware of that tradition and we're seeing all of these languages happen. And, oh, wait, I've heard of this in Sunday school. So, you know, it, it gives it that much more weight. Now, I'm going to ask the big tricky question. We are a Pentecostal church, and we have these invitationals where we all go down to the front, and these people speak in tongues, and then tongues get interpreted. And that doesn't at all look like this picture. Well, I think the point of tongues, at least in Acts 2, is the spreading of God's truth. It's about the prophecy. And by prophecy, it means truth. It's not the future. It's telling you God's what word. God's, God's word. Purpose. Yeah. But, but they weren't, the 120 that were all filled in the upper room weren't all proclaiming that and seeing people saved. It was Peter. Peter all. Peter was the only one standing up boldly preaching, it says. Well, well Peter, Peter does in 14, but I don't know that that's what... Now, there were standing in Jerusalem, God-fearing. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together because each one heard them, them speaking in his own language. Them. But what was confusing... Are not these men who are speaking Galileans men who are speaking Galileans? So there's multiple people speaking. Yeah. Right? But when they say that they're drunk, that's when Peter stood up and he was the actual preacher. Yes, right? and then Peter takes the stage and we have this There's a sequence happening here. But now, isn't it Paul that said, I would rather, I would rather, I'd rather not have tongues in the church as I'd rather have prophecy? I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but what? Well, I mean, and that, that's addressing the Corinthian church. Their charismatic gifts were out of control. Uh, that the, the charismatic gifts were taking over the service, no preaching was happening, no one. And he said, Look, if you got him, he said, if there's unsaved people here, they need to hear the gospel. And sometimes the spirit is speaking to you. As a pastor, I had to deal with this all the time. God would speak to an individual about something about their life, and they say, Pastor, I have a message for the church. And as the pastor discerning things, and you come across, they accuse you of being anti-Pentecostal, said, Brother, that's not meant for the church. That's meant for you. Uh, that, that's the pastor discerning of spirits and things. See, because we're mixing, we're mixing, we're mess, messing up two things. Okay. You're, you're, you're trying to pull the gift of tongues, and this was the sign as the infilling. The sign, the sign of being filled with the spirit, it's not as about opposed to the prophetic prophet. gift of speaking in other tongues. That requires an interpretation. Because Paul did say, if you if you get get a message in tongues, but there's no interpretation, keep it to yourself. You it's keep your, keep your mouth shut. If there's an interpretation, 
then that's where the whole church. He also said, don't let there be more than two or three. No more than well, three. that's for the order because of all the Corinthians was going nuts. Yeah. <laughs> they were, they were the, well, what ain't fruit and flakes or nuts in that situation. Want, I don't want to disrespect the Holy Spirit in any way, but I've seen services where it's like the pastor is trying to force it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. in, instead of control. Control. I had a I, I worked under an older old time Pentecostal preacher one time and he always had this statement I'd rather have wildfire than no fire at all. True. No, no, no. Wildfire's out of control. No, that's that's why he's got wildfire right now. Do you think they'd say, well, we'd rather have this than not? Wildfire means destruction. Fire under control. There are controlled fires that people do to help something grow. Controlled burn. Out of control charismatic gifts can actually do more damage. True. Yeah, because I, I saw this actually. We see had a woman come into church that supposedly she could make these prophecies over people. And we had this young couple that came in and got saved. Well, she made a prophecy over the young man, and it wound up causing him to lose out and walk away. From there were God. times I wish I wasn't a Pentecostal preacher when I was pastoring. You know what I'm saying? Yes, because, I mean, one person can come into your church with a weird theology of charismatic gifts and destroy the church. All about oh yeah, because most of them are about show. I mean, Dr. Bartell told me about the guy in his church one time that was a professor at the local university, came to his church, and he said, I'm just, just trying to find out about this Pentecost. And he said, he said, I just noticed him sitting at the altar like this one time, and afterwards, oh, I started speaking in tongues. It was real smooth. And people were going, no, you didn't. You didn't shout. You didn't run around. You didn't. He said, no. He said, oh yeah, I did speak in another language. <laughs> and, and, and people, because so many people are about I gotta show off here. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're drawing attention to yourself, is it really the spirit? Um, Jim, to satisfy my curiosity in your extensive travel, have you ever seen this kind of tongues where you have an inter uh, somebody who hears a message in a language that's not being spoken? Yeah, I've only heard of that once. And that was a third-hand thing. I've never seen it in my life. Well, only once in a in a nomadic tribe in Tanzania. Okay. That we literally caught up with. They're just hunters. So we were in the bush when we found the tribe, and it wasn't big. But we preached to them in Swahili. Mm -hmm. And they got saved. And as they were receiving, they took off, more than half of them took off into tongues which they didn't even know. Okay? And. They were speaking other languages? Other or they languages, were speaking not Hatsabe, their language. Okay. Not Swahili. Okay. Yeah. And they all knew that, and that was a confirmation to them that this is really God, not. What did they say? Huh? What, what was said? I, to my knowledge, no. To my knowledge, no. I wasn't there long. I was only there the day. I think the, I think the core of the message is the Holy Spirit's going to spread the gospel, whatever it takes. It takes a message of tongue, a message of prophecy, a healing, physically healing someone, and that causes other people to give their heart to the Lord. What the Holy Spirit says, we are going to use these charismatic gifts and powers to spread the gospel. Everything about the Holy Spirit points to Jesus Christ. Yeah. If it's not pointing to Jesus Christ, 
it's if it's not. pointing to the self person and hey, you see how I fell? You see how I did this? That is the wrong attitude. It's just like the guy that we're going to study later in Acts. He said, "Give pay." I'm about to step on toes, but these oh, television I, preachers who say, gift. "You yes. want a healing? Send me a gift." Blasphemy! Yeah. Blasphemy! Blasphemy! Amen. If you're if they're saying give us money and you'll get these charismatic gifts, I, I'll say it right now. I'll say it there. It's blasphemy. I, that is. Yeah. Will you help me? So I'm not the only one kicked out of the assembly. <laughs> <laughs> I, nothing makes me more mad. I, I get them on the, hey, if you send me, you, you got you to need, send me a gift, and that will be your seed offering to the miracle. Blasphemy, blasphemy, it's from the pit of hell. That's a lot of it. It is from the pit of hell. I'm sorry, and I'll say it. I'm not sorry. I and I agree with that. Um, in charging off into left field, uh, many years ago, when I was a hard shell Baptist and dating the most Pentecostal woman in America. Who? Oh, oh, you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to reconcile all this because I wasn't going to propose to her unless, you know, we, I didn't want to be unequally yoked. So, uh, I, I, I think I achieved that. I'm not sure. Sometimes I wonder. Anyway. Um, I w would go to Pentecostal services and uh, watch what's happening, and I w was not sure I got it. So a preacher is preaching with power, and suddenly you hear Sister Wade behind me start giving out this big message in tongues, and everything stops. And we hear her give her message, and I'm you know not following all of that. And then the pastor interprets it, who was my father-in-law, so God just spoke to us. And then he goes back to his message and finishes it up. And I'm thinking, if I were talking to you and my boss from, from school, my principal shows up at my door, I'm totally cutting off this conversation and I'm going to go talk to my boss because that's important, right? Uh, if, if God interrupts your sermon, shouldn't you follow what was being said? And and that never happened. And I, I thought that was strange. Shouldn't we all stop and pray about what God just told us? Anyway, uh, I'm trying to figure this out. And, and being me, I started bringing a notepad to church. And when somebody gave a message in tongues, I wrote it down. I, I tried to write down the sounds to, so that I would understand you know, what the words were. And then I certainly uh, you know, did the interpretation. Try, because it's a heavenly language, as it was described to me. Now, if it's a heavenly language, it has syntax. There is structure. Languages do things. And so if I can see, if I can see, you know, what it looks like, then I wanted to, you know, basically interpret it and come up with a dictionary to key. Because we needed a dictionary. So I started writing this down. And so Sister Wade, the next time, you know, I'm sitting there with my notes. She gets out a message in tongues, and her sister waves, all of them, all of her messages in tongues, were one word. It was something like Adalila. And so she would go, Adalila, 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 Adalila. And then And then my father-in-law, the pastor, would interpret what she just said with, 
Verily I say unto you, my brethren, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And I, and I wrote, you know, if you put Ali, 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 and you put that underneath, there is no, there is no relation at all. There is no syntax to tongues. Now, I'm not saying that that disavows anything. I'm not questioning the miracle. But I, it, it confuses. See, it's, it is confusing. It's not language. I would understand if you're speaking in a different language, and I mean, that's miraculous. But it's like when they give the message in time the last two minutes and the interpretation lasts five seconds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That bothers you too? Yeah. And, <laughs> and after I have a whole book of, of, of God speaking to us directly, there is nothing in any of those interpretations that are in any way surprising and aren't in scripture already. It never says, please disinvest in, in your bank right now because we're about to have a crash. That would be helpful. No, uh, we, we have believe on Jesus Christ and I've already got that in my scripture. You know, nothing, it, it's all solid. To, to play devil's advocate there, okay, please the reason for the miraculous gift of the speaking tongues and interpretation is to show the power that comes along with what's being said in Scripture. Everything that Every message is going to be backed up by Scripture. Yes. There's not going to be anything new said. But on the other hand, just like anything else, and here's what made my life difficult as a Pentecostal pastor, whatever God creates, unfortunately, and I don't know why he does it this way, but he does it, can easily counterfeit it. Now, are these evil people saying, I'm going to bring down the church through false stuff and stuff? No. A lot of it is attention grabbing. And you see me set up that tee and he knocked it right down with your age. You see that? Oh, did okay, I go where you want to go? No, that's exactly where I want you to go. Uh, go ahead. It, it, there is, and we can admit this as Pentecostals, there's a lot of counterfeit crud in our denomination. No. In our there, there's a ton of it. No. And as a Pentecostal pastor trying to, it, the job of the Pentecostal pastor is to discern it. Unfortunately, we Or ignore it, because we ignore it. Well, no, well, because here's the thing. It's socially set up that it, but if anybody comes out and says, I don't know if that's correct, you're immediately labeled anti-Pentecostal. Right. But you're using a Pentecostal gift of discernment to determine. So how are you anti-Pentecostal? The pastor has control. The pastor has to, it is not a free-for-all when it comes to charismatic gifts. It should never be a The pastor gift. has to control. He has to be able to say no. But then we get in trouble. Bye, guys. Bye guys. <laughs> it, was, it was just no, getting no, fun, no, too. No, no, no. I know. I hacked them off. Of <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're calling the general superintendent. Yeah, right, yeah, right now. now. Right now. <laughs> what? Hit me. Okay, okay. Words from God right there. So, so 
in one of these evening services, um, there, was, story, there was um, there was was there a, a message in tongues first? Danny Duran was speaking. Yes. And it was the altar call. It was altar call time. And a at the one end was a message in tongues. A what? A message in tongues. Denny Duran stopped it, which I actually think this is quite appropriate since we're in the middle of an altar call, brother. This is kind of, and that's when the attack on all Well, yeah, and but, but here's here's the thing. So stop. Now actually this is actually I, I usually support that, but here's one case where it probably was real. Did you want to tell or do you want me to? You go Did, ahead. No, you go ahead. Well anyway, so uh, he stopped the interpretation and he went back to the altar call. Then somebody way up in the balcony, like two sections from oh, this us. This is on the other side. Well, it doesn't matter. But anyway, well, this, this you you tell the story because you don't. Guys, come second, on! Second interpretation over here. We only got he stopped it again. Then there's a third one. Stops it again. Really? Then the guy. This is the guy that was a couple aisles back. Says. My voice will not be shut up here. Wow. In just a little while, I'm about to write Ichabod over this place, and I will shut. The, I will speak what's been going on here. The Jimmy Swaggart security team it's, takes him out like no time. Jimmy Swaggart says, service over. Two weeks later, the newscast comes out. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and we thought, not Nutcase, nutcase, and then I'm watching the news one night. And he goes, "Come in here." Come in here. here. <laughs> and so, yikes. <laughs> so who was right and wrong? Well, what did the what did this well what did the how did it play out? He's, I mean, it was more more to the guy who was behind us because saying something's been going on here for a while. I'm about, I, I've given plenty of warnings. There's hypocrisy, there's all this. I'm about to stop it right now. And the only thing is, the Holy Spirit won't do it like that. Publicly. It compels it, though. That individual would go to. Well, maybe that was the. Well, but the thing is, the way the news went out, I mean, it. That's the Holy Spirit compelling you to do things that wouldn't be normal than what everyone else was doing. Or could it have been someone had already gone to a Bible? Well, Marvin Gordon did go to him. I think Marvin Gordon was doing his own thing, too. You know, the thing about the Spirit I mean, I'm asking No, I'm I've had people, I've had a person stop when I was preaching and say, I've got a word from the Lord. And I said, that's fine, but you hold it. Yep. The anointing's on the word. When I'm done, I'll give you the chance. I agree with that. And when I finished, I turned and I said, now you can give your word. Okay. And he couldn't give the word. He couldn't. Yeah. Which proved that it was the wrong spirit. That was my take on it. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I just, it, it's like Jim said earlier, the pastor is you the have to conductor. Be, you it. have to have the heart of the spirit to know. And you can blow it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I've I just made mistakes. I've blown it. But I mean, th this is a very, and we got to remember something. This, I want to go back. It's not a free for all. This is to be, or 
God is a, a person of order too. And when it's done in order, it's wonderful. Oh, it's beautiful, and it, it'll it'll flow. The problem is there's always a counterfeit. You throw a counterfeit in it, it causes confusion, it causes bitterness, it causes question, it causes doubt. That's why that is why the role of the pastor or church leadership in any, whatever way it is is so important in this because the damage that can be done from fake and not evil people. Oh, well, people are afraid to stifle the spirit or whatever because they think they're going to do harm. But sometimes if you don't do that, you're doing more harm by not saying, hey, wait a minute. We need to test the spirits here. We need to know. Because there, be, there might be someone said, you know, the Lord says, hey, I just really want you to kind of give up TV for a month and concentrate on me. That's a message for that personal person. But then he goes to the church saying, everyone's supposed to do that. Yeah. And God's not talking to everyone. He's talking to you. And there's there's some it's not like every message is an evil message that's fake. It's a lot of times it's hey brother sister this is something that God's talking to you not necessarily for the whole church. It's like, you know it's like people trying to force their conviction on other people. You're right. Did did we answer your question? Did I don't you? remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to make because I think I tried to address See, that. Dur Duran did the right thing. Yeah. To shut it down. One, two, three. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because. Uh, Every time, the devil is most active when you're giving an invitation. You got that right, brother. I've seen that in my my culture. Mm -hmm. All right, I see it. Nine times out of ten, you have an altar call. There's something to take everybody's attention off of the altar call, yeah. whether it's a person being slain in the spirit and then going around on their belly like a snake foaming at the mouth. You know, oh, boy. that'll get people's attention. Well, yeah, they will. will. But it's I'm not watching. God, and you have to get everybody. And one of my youth pastors that I had get back on said, I said, said when he was getting saved, someone came forward in the church. I'm going to do this with my wife. You can't do this and trying to go out. He's going, I'm trying to give my heart to the Lord. And they're shaking me around a little bit like this. <laughs> and I'm like, please. And they said, please leave me alone. Yeah. I'm trying to talk to God. And I'm trying to, you know, well-intentioned, but not right. Yeah. You know, to where I've even had people say, I don't need eight people around me. Yeah. It's more distracting to have eight people around me than just one person with me or just me by myself. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling here. You know, I want to go back to the point of the whole purpose of the charismatic gifts of this is the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Showing people Jesus. Huh? all about him. When it gets about something else, it's not true. The Holy okay. Spirit is kind of a scary thing because you're always worried that you're going to do say something that might blaspheme him and you don't mean to. But, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I tell my clients when I'm counseling. <laughs> when they say the word about something means you're probably not going to do it. Blaspheming is something you do. No yeah, say, that, say that again. When you like I have a parent bring their kid to me and say, I'm worried I'm a bad parent. If you're worried that you're a bad parent, you're probably not. Okay, before we totally lose our class one at a time in this big argument, uh, let me wrap this up. Luke's intention in Luke in chapter 2 is not tongues, although I find this discussion to be important, and I think it has ramifications to our own worship that we need to understand. So it's worthy of looking at, but Luke's intention was prophecy. It is about declaring the word of God and however we interpret the tongues in the end the the message on prophecy is the same we are proclaiming God's truth and Peter steps up in verse 14 
and delivers a sermon. And we are going to look at that next week because we don't have time now. So we are picking it up at verse 14. Goodbye, Internet. The sermon he gave.